We are going to be continuing our sermon series today that's entitled Recover. You see it on the front page of the bulletin, God's Grace Meets Life's Mountains. And this is a sermon series where we chose several weeks ago to go through the 12 steps. And today we're on steps 8 and 9. I'd like to read those steps to you as we begin this sermon today. Step 8 made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. You know, there is nothing harder for some of us myself included, than to admit we have hurt another. Think about that. It's painful. It's easier to make excuses that put us in the right and the other person in the wrong, isn't it? Or at least that's what I find. And often we can explain away the role we played in the hurt of another, can't we? But what these steps, step 8 and step 9, do for us is that they push us to that place of admission of being the one who hurt and taking the move toward making amends, making things right, and doing so without expecting that we deserve some sort of response. And when moving into these steps, one does not know if the amends will be met with the cold shoulder or a warm embrace. We don't know if the other will say, well, I'm sorry too, or say, it's about time, or maybe even, it's too late for that. What a step toward recovery it is to be strong enough to admit we have hurt another experience the impact of that hurt, and then the grace of unloading that pain and shame and guilt. You know, oftentimes we hurt people through uh, our own addictions. The folk who've been working these steps, some of you for years, know this. But it's another thing to point to the addiction as the culprit. When we realize that we have to take ownership of the hurt that sometimes we very much are a part of. And that's what steps eight and nine call us to do. To take full ownership. To take full responsibility. And to act in such a way without expecting anything in return. But to do what is right. And what the Holy Spirit will lead. And what the grace of God will empower. Now, though um, AA has just been around since the 30s, Jesus and the Gospels, some 2,000 years of history, has something to say into this sermon today. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke, the sixth chapter? Luke 6, we'll begin reading with the 37th verse. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. Do 
Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take out the speck in your eye when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, friends, today we've got a tough word. It's all about a bad case of the log eye, okay? You know, the log eye that Jesus described is like a childhood disease. You know you're going to contract it. It's really inevitable. You might get a bad case of log eye or you might get a mild case of log eye, but you're going to get it. And the disease is residual. It's always there and sometimes it flares up and other times maybe it can be under control by the grace of God. But there's really no vaccine to ward it off. It's almost a sure given that you're going to get it and get it and get it again. The issue is how to control it. For you see, log eye, uncontrolled and, and, and untreated can kill you, at least spiritually. There's nothing that can damage your spiritual life any more than a case of log eye that's not addressed. This morning, I want to begin this, um, this time with you by getting pretty personal. You know, I've had a tough week into my first week of being 60. And all of this has called me to think back to a younger day, about 58 years ago. And most of you who've been hearing me for some years know that I grew up in the little town of Chandler, Texas, right? Does anybody not know that? And Chandler's about, oh, 10 miles on the western side of Tyler. And I lived there all of my life until I went to college, except for 18 months. When I was a toddler in that kind of two to three year age, I, I, I moved with my family to the little town of Troop, which is on the other side of Tyler. My father was a pharmacist in, in Johnson Tucker Pharmacy and uh, he was a young pharmacist just out of school and we resided there in that little town and, and my parents really loved it there but it was just biding time before they could actually move home. Both mom and dad were from my hometown of Chandler. 
But oddly enough, my first childhood memories, the first memories I've, I ever had of life here on earth didn't happen in Chandler, happened in Troop. And I have three snapshot memories I'd like to share with you today. Oh, they're still a little bit hazy and, and I can't see very clearly some of the faces I'll describe, but I can remember the experiences. Now, our next door neighbor in Troop was a man named Buster. Buster was a bachelor and he lived with his mother in a little house next to our little house there in Troop. I'm told that he was a loner and he didn't get out much at all, didn't have much to do with people. But I remember as a toddler being in his house at his kitchen table while he was doing what he did every morning and that was drink coffee. And I can remember Buster having this big, huge coffee mug. And I can remember especially the way he drank his coffee. He would take a sip of coffee and he'd go, ah. And then I remember that he would pour me a little mug full of milk. And Buster would drink his coffee, ah. And I would mimic him. I'd drink my coffee and I'd go, ah. And Buster would fall out laughing. He thought that was the funniest thing. And he would keep it up and I'd keep it up. And we, were, we really could entertain each other. And my second childhood memory was in the drugstore where mom and I went nearly daily to see dad. And I could remember this rubber hose that was... Uh, kind of a shower connection for your bathtub. To, and have I got you yet? You know, you put it on the bathtub thing and you, you could take kind of a shower sitting in the bathtub, I guess. And, and you know, oddly enough, it looked kind of like a tuba. It had a, a bell, you know, that was the shower head and it had a mouthpiece, uh, not really, but the thing that went on the, uh, the faucet, I guess you'd say, in the bathtub. And, and, and I remember it was coiled up, you know, and positioned, it made a perfect tuba. And as a little toddler boy, I would march around the drugstore with my tuba playing that shower hose to the delight of the drugstore crowd. And they'd cheer me on. And the more they cheered, the more I'd march, and the more I'd blow. Third snapshot memory. I'd be in the drugstore, and Mr. John Tucker, who owned the drugstore, he wasn't a pharmacist, but he owned the store. He'd come in, and people would be sitting in the store drinking coffee in the fountain. And Mr. Tucker would pick me up and hold me in his arms. And he'd take me around to the people and say, look at this baby. Look at this baby. This baby's sick. And when he'd say sick, I'd fall out. Right there in his arms, I'd go limp. And he'd say, this baby needs a shot. This baby needs a shot bad. And they'd get one of the little hypodermics without the needle and they'd give that baby a shot. And when they gave me that shot, I'd perk up, come to life. And the drugstore crowd, oh, they'd cheer me on. Oh, look at that baby. He's well again. Now, I'm on the proverbial psychologist table, okay? You with me? My discovery of myself through those snapshot memories is this. 
pleasing others and making others laugh and making others happy really has always been something to me. And it goes way back to my beginning. And furthermore, another thread that runs through these snapshot memories is all kinds of people, young and old, loners and community leaders, men and women, professionals and townspeople. I really did like them a lot. They pleased me. So you got this I'm a pleaser and I'm pleased by people thing going on and I didn't have to go into the ministry too long to realize that not everyone pleases me. In fact, in my older age, more people displease me than not. In fact, there are a few people that if I could make just a few changes, they'd be better. Do you have a list of a few people or maybe a lot of people that really do need a good fixing? You know, it's a different kind of list than the steps, step eight and step nine lead us to. It's not the list of, of people you need to make amends with that I'm talking about. It's a list of people who you need to fix that I'm talking about. And I've had plenty of people on my list who've needed fixing for a good while. And Jesus talked about specks didn't he? Specks in the eyes of another, didn't he? And, and so a, a lot of us, I think, are, are those who, who can see those people needing fixing and it's like we see those specks in their eyes that need just a little bit of attention, right? But what we need to realize, it's oftentimes those people on our list of people who need to be fixed are the very people with whom we need to make amends. For oftentimes it's those people that we think need fixing that we may from at one time or another may have told them so in word or deed or maybe just expression. Jesus was the first to diagnose logi and Jesus said that you know that you have logi when figuratively speaking you see a speck in your sister or brother's eye that you know you need to take out and you're judging them. And oftentimes when we're judging another we're hurting another, right? And when we're hurting another then there forms our list of people with whom we need to make amends. So there's something to be said about what Jesus was talking about related to how we judge others and this list that steps eight and step nine are, are getting us into. Many times if we have a person on our spec list, then the person on our spec list is a, a very person that we need to go to. Sometimes we may not have, 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 have hurt them, but in the way that we relate to them, it hurts us because of the way we judge. We look for specks in the eyes of others and we can't see the log in our own eye. At least that's what Jesus said. 
Some of the most hurtful actions that I think that we can be involved in get right to this basic concept of judging others. It's behind it at least. For oftentimes when we hurt another, we have made a judgment of another. And that involvement and that action can really be devastating. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Can any of you see this speck in my eye? Well, I know there are those of you out here that see specks in my eye. Can you see it? Can you get that camera zoomed in a little better? What about this? Can you see this? (laughs) Have I made my point? Jesus was saying that instead of worrying about the, the shortcomings, the, the faults in another, the things another does, the, the, the things that annoy you about someone else, this that needs fixing, you, you might ought to address the law guy and ask the Lord to help you with that. For law guy is real and realized judgment and criticism. Jesus said the way that you judge others sets the standard on how you're going to be judged. Remember how he said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others their trespasses. So our forgiveness is kind of based on how we forgive. Now in Matthew the fifth chapter, this is the Sermon on the Mount. We've been reading from the Sermon on the Plain in Luke But I want to turn to the Sermon on the Mount for just a moment. To the fifth chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Now we need to know about the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount. That the sayings that Jesus has, the teachings that Jesus has there. Are teachings that cause us all to kind of shrink. Realizing our own shortcomings. No one can read through the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. And feel good about the way they're living spiritually. It's meant to show that we all have shortcomings, that we all have sin, and that we're all in need of God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's acceptance. When we read the Sermon on the Mountain, the Sermon on the Plain, God has us right where God wants us, in need of grace and knowing it. So listen to these words from Jesus, beginning with the 21st verse of the 5th chapter. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you leave your gift right there. Before the altar. And you go. First be reconciled to your brother or your sister. Then come and offer your gift. You see, Jesus understood this. That, that, that sometimes the, 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 the hurt that we do is in our hearts, right? 
It's that anger in our hearts that sometimes is just like murder. It's the judgment in our hearts that's, that, that, that produces the logi. And if we're making an offering at the altar, Jesus said, and you remember that someone has a grudge against you, guess what? They probably have a grudge against you because maybe it's something that you did that hurt. Leave it there. First things first. You go do step eight and step nine. You, you make it right. And those of you who've been in recovery or you know these 12 steps better than I, know that step eight and step nine are very difficult, but they are also very freeing. There's something about making that hard step and moving toward another with that unconditional, not just I'm sorry, but that unconditional I'm wrong. I was wrong and I'm sorry. That has a way of releasing all of that baggage of shame and guilt and getting you to a place if you're not expecting anything in return from the other but you know that what you will get from God will be just that forgiveness freedom a a new way to see life with a weight that has been removed by God alone we're going to end this sermon like I've never ended a sermon before they're circulating right now in the 12-step community a, a, a tape of the Reverend Dr. Tom Ship, our first pastor here at Lover's Lane. Now, I've had this tape, and on my tape it says, The AA International Address by Dr. Tom Ship, 1961. Now, what I've been seeing says 1966, but whether it was 61 or 66, Tom Ship. By the 1960s, was known internationally not only as the pastor of Lovers Lane United Methodist Church, but he was known internationally as a pastor who was different, a pastor who saw the importance of the 12th steps. It was Tom Shipp who was instrumental in bringing AA to Dallas back in the 1940s. And by the 60s, he was seen as a spokesperson. Now, what's really interesting about this particular speech that Tom made to that group, it's about a 33-minute speech. I'd encourage you to go online and hear the whole thing. You're just going to hear four minutes this morning. But he was introduced by Bill Wilson himself, one of the two orchestrators of AA. And Bill Wilson took 10 minutes to talk about Tom Ship because Tom Ship was so unique in being a pastor a preacher who was not pointing the finger at those who he could see specks in their eye but was trying for himself and the church to remove the log from ours so that we could say to the alcoholic and those dealing with addictions and others you're welcome here because this isn't our church it's the Lord's church You're welcome around this table because it's not our table, it's the Lord's table. You're welcome in the waters of baptism because it's not our water, it's the Lord's water. 
And at this table and at this water, we all stand in need of acceptance and forgiveness and the healing from the law guy.